0: The colonel's sleep was abruptly interrupted when his silenced cell phone vibrated on the nightstand, like a coping saw on a piece of tin. His conscious mind rose through the thick waves of REM sleep, just enough to guide his hand to the phone and shut it off. Gratefully, the practiced maneuver spared him any significant mental effort, and he was able to slip back down into the depths of perfect slumber noting the faint breeze beating gently on his face from an overhead fan. Then his cell phone rang. Pain furrowed his angular face. Once again, his mind had been dragged into semi-consciousness, but now it was attended by a splitting headache. He'd been robbed of precious sleep. Rage flooded over him. Who the hell is calling? He forced his heavy eyes open. It suddenly occurred to him, that it wasn't possible for the phone to be ringing like this. He'd put it on silent, as always, just moments before he lay down. And when it vibrated earlier, he'd silenced it again. Strange. Moy rolled over and snagged the phone off of the nightstand. The number read, unknown. That was stranger still. Only two people had the number to this particular phone, and they were both well known to him. The first was General Mwanga, the overbearing Ugandan army officer in charge of the African Union military district, to which Moy's command theoretically reported. That was a phone call he would have to take, despite its inevitable unpleasantness. The other was Sir Reginald Harris, the English lord and bleeding-heart administrator of a charitable family trust, but that would have been a very enjoyable phone call to receive. Harris would have rung him up only if he was ready to pay the additional security fees Colonel Moy demanded in order to release the shipment of corn-soya blend, CSB, the trust had shipped to Mogadishu two weeks ago. Harris's CSB shipment was intended for 3,000 starving Somali children at a refugee camp 100 kilometers toward the northwest. Colonel Moy's compound was strategically located, in one of the least inhabited suburbs of Somalia's capital city. As the commander of a unit of Kenyan troops assigned to AMISOM, the African Union mission in Somalia, Colonel Moy's responsibility was to ensure the safe transport of much-needed foodstuffs from Mogadishu's revitalized deep-water port to the hinterland, where famine had once again displaced over one million starving Somalis, the Islamist al-Shabaab militia had re-infiltrated Mogadishu recently, despite the best efforts of the African Union forces that battled against them in an attempt to give the Somali transitional federal government time to re-establish functioning democratic institutions in the world's most infamous failed state. At the moment, the Shabaab militia posed the greatest threat to the safe delivery of food. But not in Moy's sector. His command had completely cowed the Shabab thanks to Moy's aggressive tactics, or at least that's what Colonel Moy reported to the Western aid organizations that coordinated deliveries through him. Moy cultivated the extremely profitable fiction for naive outsiders. The Shabab left Moy alone because he paid them in hard currency, not because they were afraid of him. Since it was likely neither Mwanga nor Harris calling him, Moy snapped off the phone again, but now he was wide awake. Damn it. It was only 3.22 p.m. He decided to fetch a cold beer from his refrigerator. He padded barefoot across the silken, hand-woven carpet toward the tiled kitchen area. The cold marble felt good on his aching feet. He flung open the stainless steel Bosch refrigerator, and yanked out a frosty-cold Stella Artois. As he was twisting off the bottle cap, the phone rang again. He took a long swig and marched back over to the phone, slamming the glass bottle down on the nightstand. With any luck, he'd have the fool on the other end of the line in chains before nightfall, and a 12-volt car battery clamped onto his balls. Moy snatched up the ringing phone. Who is this? As an educated Kenyan, Moy spoke excellent, though heavily accented English. Like many Africans, he was conversant, if not fluent, in several tribal languages.